This is not going according to plan. Again, we jump into the Wayback Machine and pay a visit with a slightly younger and more vivacious technologist who has thoughts on incorporating design thinking into the classroom. If you find this pod useful, or at least mildly interesting, please subscribe and give us a rating on your app of choice. And as always, thanks for listening and inspiring. So much good content. So much good content. Mm-hmm. I was starting to worry about if you were getting my good side, but I'm not sure I have one anymore. All right, it's episode five of the Technologist. I keep thinking you're hanging on numbers. Like this is only the fifth one. This is done. only the, fi- the the official fifth one. I checked. I was looking through the the oh. records, and it was number five. All right. Unless my records are bad, which is very likely because I math not strong. That's not strong. No, you're, I'm pictures. sure it's right. By the way, I am your humble host, Larry Burden, and I'm joined by the man who's gamed the system. It's the Technologist. That's right. Gaming the system. Gaming I like the that. system. I like it's a uh, David Noller, the Technologist. The topic, should you choose to accept it, mm-hmm. is. Design thinking. Do we not have a moment of Zen? We, I the <laughs> moment of Zen is is that other that uh, we don't talk about that other podcast oh, unless you want. To, I'll give you one. The guy who directed the, the technologist sh- tidbit. Technologist How tidbit. How about that? The guy who directed the Red Balloon, that famous French short film. Yes. Also invented the board game Risk. Huh? I I don't know that. <laughs> So the the idea of uh, of design, the design cycle in education, um, I started getting introduced. I started getting interested in this uh, a couple of years ago, and every time I saw the design cycle, I always felt like it feels like it's another lockstep. And I know it wasn't supposed to, but every time I saw a model, it was start here, then do this, then do this, then repeat. And I understood the purpose of it, that you mm-hmm. you introduce an idea, you create a hypothesis, you build something to test that hypothesis, you um, determine if there's any uh, anything you need to change in order for it to be more successful, you adjust it, and you do it again. Mm-hmm. But it still felt like a pattern. It mm-hmm. still felt like a... Like an, something that was designed? Like an unwieldy process. Okay, okay. Maybe it's my, my sort of... Um, my approach to design in the first place, which is to sort of jump in mm-hmm. and swim around for a while and then take a look around and see where you are. And if there's sharks, then obviously you have to swim away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, but if there's no sharks, you can keep going. Isn't that, though, this a system? It is, in a way. You said that, and I'm like, that kind of mirrors <laughs> the, the system that you just mentioned, kind it, of. It does. And because, you know, I'm kind of a visual person, um, when I would see those design cycles with a, a starting point and then it would loop around and start again, mm-hmm. it, it looks a little bit like a rat race or a, or a, a mouse wheel, I guess, is the thing. Mm-hmm. And I never want to get stuck on that mouse wheel. And we, we saw something when we went to the Mets Fall Rally, which was the Michigan Educational Technology Specialists Fall Rally. And um, we did a design project. But the... The, the the cycle, the design cycle came from Ford's Model I project. Okay. 
And it's another look at how to do innovation. It's another look at how to do a design cycle. And what I liked about it was that there, there are the um, what they call the, the actions of innovation. And these are things that you would normally see on, on a design cycle. Uncover, which is the idea where we're, we're trying to figure out what it is that's needed. Then we're going to define the problem. We're going to design something to address it. We're going to test it and optimize it. And then we're going to implement that solution. Okay, those are things I'd normally see in a design cycle, versions of that. But the model I approach adds things like being empathic. Uh, when you're working with your test audience or the people who are going to be using that thing, that product, that idea, um, engaging them with empathy. Now, that's an old human design concept, but the way it's engaged here is, is different in that for some of the old design, human design projects, you start with empathy. You talk to your consumer, you talk to your audience, you figure out what they need, and then you take over from there. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe it's just the way that the Model I is laid out, but they have that empathy piece being coming into the process at each step. So sure, in the beginning when you're trying to understand the process, but also when you're designing it, and also when you're implementing it, and also when you are um, generating ideas what they call the habits of the innovator are sprinkled in throughout the actions of innovation. So you've got the action of design and then you've got these habits and they're things like um, taking risks, be, uh, be empathetic, collaborate, stay curious, learn from failure, challenge the rules. So that at each step along the way of that design process, you're being reminded to challenge the rules, be empathetic, um, uh, stay curious, uh, collaborate, take risks, all those things. And when I when I saw that model, um, as somebody who is someone who kind of challenges status quo and looks to do things differently, um, it was a it's it's another look at a design model that allows for a lot more customization and interaction. Where the the empathy part isn't just in the beginning to figure out what you need; it flows through the whole project. If nothing else from the Mets Fall Rally, that was my big takeaway, was was that new look at the model. Nothing, nothing in the model is particularly brand new. We've been doing human um, human design theory for a long time, but it's the way I think that it's implemented that I think was, for me at least, uh, a new thing. It's not just the program; mm-hmm. it actually shows you how to navigate the construct, yeah. which the, is which is different. Yeah, the what hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. Maybe the how and maybe the why. And maybe even maybe the who, yeah. Because really, what they're, sure. they're what they're doing is they're they're engaging, they're they're getting you to engage in it and reflect on it as a as an individual or as mm-hmm. a, a group mm-hmm. going through the process. Mm-hmm. And I think that's different. You're not just looking at the process; you're mm-hmm. actually engaged, and they're asking you to be subjective right. in the process, right. so that you're really engaged in yeah. it. And I think it's really reflective of of teaching and how um, how our staffs engage in planning where. Now, we're reading the kite runner right now, and you can you can set uh, you can set your students up in the beginning, understanding where they're at, understanding where their where their prejudices might lie, or just their prejudgments about parts of the world, or or even about reading. Um, and we can we can engage those things early on, and then throughout the process, we do that all the time. We come back and we check back in, and we see how have your attitudes changed, how have your how has your understanding changed. 
Um, I think that's built into a lot of our planning in the in the first place. You know, we're going through the ISTE standards for educators. Right. And it just so happens yep. that next week we're going to be um, jumping into the, I do believe, the, the fifth standard, okay. which is designer. Oddly yeah. enough. Yeah. Oddly enough. And if I can read, I'm kind of curious what your what sure. your take on is it. Educators design authentic learner-driven activities and environments that recognize and accommodate learner variability. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I'm not going to go through the indicators sure, and, sure. and what that is, but it's interesting that in, in Matt's, mm-hmm. there was, there were discussions on this mm-hmm. here in, in the ISTE standards, it's important enough sure. to be recognized. Why? And you mentioned that this is something that educators just do. Why is there so much of an emphasis on this? When, to some extent, well, you know, we design, we design all the time. We're designing curriculum. We're designing our classroom management process, you know. Sure. Why is there an an emphasis when we already do it? Yeah. Because I think there's a difference between um, sort of accidentally walking into it and being intentional about it. And I think we all as teachers do it from time to time. But I think there's also a challenge that we can meet by being intentional about engaging it more often. Anytime we engage uh, kids in a meaningful learner-centered activity that's authentic, that gives them real-world experience, we know that's how they learn better. Sometimes we get stuck in, yeah, but I have to finish this chapter, or yeah, but I have a textbook, and I started at page one, and I got to get to the last one. And sometimes I think we get stuck in curriculum when if we took a step back and slowed down just a minute, we could engage them in things that are going to last longer in terms of impact for them than is is needed by finishing the book, finishing the textbook, or um, getting to that last chapter. Now, I know I'm speaking for teachers who, you know, like math teachers, they've got the SAT to confront. You know, that's something that we know that they they have to deal with. But it's how we get the kids there. And I think... Um, sometimes we can get stuck in that curriculum and sometimes we can get stuck in the way I've always done it. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm actually kind of lucky in a way that it's rare that I have a textbook for any of my classes. I had a textbook for 10th grade and I had a book that I used for AP Lit, but just about every other class I've taught has been, go figure it out. Even in the classrooms, in the piece of, or in the areas of curric- the curricular areas that have textbooks or mm-hmm. have some pre, some de- designated materials that they have to go through. Mm-hmm. One of the neat things about design thinking, I feel, is what it's doing is saying, look at your playing field. Mm-hmm. There are variables in every playing field. Every game has rules. Sure. Every game has rules. Once you recognize what the playing field is and what the rules are, now you can construct. Sure. And design within those rules. Yeah. You know, it's nice that you have a little bit wider playing field. Right. But really, the 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 concept behind the design thinking is is there for any right. any playing field, any game. Yeah, any game. And the other nice thing is that within that within that philosophy or that approach using design thinking, it also lends itself towards um, customizing your experiences for the kids who need the customization. I have three English language learners this year, uh, exchange students from Germany, Italy, and Sweden. Um, And I've had to make adjustments along the way in order to make sure that their experience of the class is meaningful in a way that, I mean, literally meaningful, like linguistically meaningful Mm -hmm. to them. 
Uh, and so we've we've added some new things within the um, within how I teach to make that make sense. Google Presentation now has live um, closed captioning of presentations. So as I present information, if I do it in a in a Google presentation, it will live closed caption as I speak. And it's pretty accurate. It's pretty cool. I actually use a podcasting mic to do it because mm-hmm. it can't hear me. A little, little clearer. Yeah. Yeah. But that fits right into that uh, part as a designer of the empathy. I look at my audience and I see who needs what, and then I make adjustments based on who needs that thing. I think every educator on some level is an artist. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. you have to be. Sure. When, as you're a designer, you're an artist, you're using creativity. And, the, and really the, the, the magic of, of what happens in the classroom is exploring but it's neat to see that the the educator and i think it would be good for the for the educator to recognize that they are exploring and they are digging into their their own creative mindset their own design mindset Mm -hmm. design mindset every time they look at their curricular area or their classroom and they're really they think about it um holistically Mm -hmm. and empathetically Mm -hmm. and how how can you get how can you best get to the outcome that you're looking for for that audience we have the same goal for all of our all of our students in terms of outcome, but how we get them there is is part of that art. Um, and sometimes we do adjust the outcome uh, for our students, but we don't adjust it in a way that removes the meaning from it. That it might be a slightly lower target, it might be a slightly different way to complete the target, um, but I don't think we ever change it to the point where the goal has lost its meaning. So you're going to go there earlier. But yeah. I'm, and, and I kind of stopped you. I feel I, I, I apologize for that. I apologize for that. So before we jump into it, I, w- I wanted to ask a question because this is going to be a new segment okay. in the Technologist podcast, and I don't have a name for it. I was struggling to find a name for the segment. You know, right. we have in Tech Tool or in um, uh, the TCAPS Loop Weekly Podcast, we mm-hmm. have the Tech Tool of the Week. Mm-hmm. You know, we have our name. Right. We need a name for this. So I'm, I'm actually, you know, anybody that's listening, if you've got a if you've got a name for like some kind of a gamification, yeah. gamifying title. Okay. If, do, if, I if you, do, do you have it? Yeah, absolutely. I'll have to think about it. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to think about it. Yeah. So um, open up for that. So with that, with that, what here, is what is it? Here's the thing. So I <laughs> here's talk- the, maybe that's it. Here's the thing. So here's the thing. That's actually a thing that I say quite a bit. So here's the thing. Um, last year I talked about a, a a version of Monopoly that I play with my sociology kids. Right. Mm. I haven't done that yet this year. Um, I'm I'm playing around with where I do it in my in my semester. I did it. Are you designing? A little bit. Yeah, yeah. I did it early last year, and I don't feel like it had the same kind of impact as when they had had a little bit more under their belt. So I'm holding off on that. But uh, I came away from the Mets um, uh, meetup that we had, thinking more about design and engagement. And I keep coming back to games in the classroom. And we're reading the Kite Runner, and there's a section of the Kite Runner where the family. Um, is trying to escape because the Soviets have come and um, things are bad, and so they're 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 on their way out, and they have to figure out how to leave. And so we have done a little bit of background information with our kids about what's the social situation in Afghanistan in the time. I think it's 1979. Um, the Soviets have ringed the country. If you look on a map of where they were, they they kind of created a ring, and then Kabul was also a dangerous place to be. And so I gave the kids the challenge of they were they could decide how many people are in their family and they they have to leave from the same neighborhood as our characters in Kite Runner. So we're working on 1979 political condition, but mm-hmm. 2018 financial condition. 
because I didn't want them to have to. How much is a plane ticket in 2018 mm-hmm. versus 1979? The idea was they had to come up with a route and and plan out how much money they were going to spend to get out, and they could go to any number of of locations. They could go to North America, Australia. Um, uh, someplace in Africa, Japan, South Korea, UK, Europe. They could go pretty much anywhere they wanted to. They had to figure out how to get there um, in an affordable way. And that's all I said was affordable. I kind of tricked them. And when they were, while they were traveling in the airport, if they had to buy food, it was twice what they would normally spend mm-hmm. if they were around town, just for average. I asked them to figure out how much per hundred miles it would cost them to drive. Um, and then I asked them to use travel websites to figure out how much it would cost to fly or take a bus or whatever from. So the goal is escape Afghanistan. But. Now we're not talking Afghani bus fares. We're talking bus fares. Right. Just you know, they, they said, they're not having to go into the dark I, web. and Yeah. They said, <laughs> how are we supposed to know how much it would cost to get from Kabul to whatever? And I said, well, what do you think? And somebody said, well, can we just figure out how much it costs to get from here to like Chicago and then use that? Sure, let's do that thing. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be a hundred percent accurate, but for the purposes of what we were doing, it worked. So that that's all great, and that could be its own little thing on its own, probably. But that's just math. But this was mm-hmm. the fun part. I thought um, whenever they changed modes of transportation, entered another city, crossed a border, I rolled dice, and then I game mastered the condition. So I rolled it. I used um, six six-sided dice. I would roll these virtual dice, and ones are failures. They're terrible. Sixes are awesome. They're great. Um, and everything in between, four and above is a success. Three and below is a, is a not success. And based on the dice rolls, I would then tell a story. Normally, I would want the kids telling the story, but based on what we were doing, I was I was giving them complications that then they had to respond to. So there was a group that rolled really high, and they actually got to borrow their rich aunt's private plane and fly to Turkey. They weren't all the way home yet, but they got to do that. Another group that rolled very low, um, one of the people in their group was abducted. There's other players who they ended up running out of money in Moscow. And so now they're in Moscow as an Afghani, not speaking the language, with no money, and can't go any further. After this whole thing was over, and we took an entire day to do this, and we role-played out all kinds of things that uh, people along the route that stopped you and demanded payment, somebody who was who was treated very kindly by somebody that they met along the way. Uh, there was somebody who was um, put on a, a terror watch list because their last name matched the name of somebody who had just committed an act of violence. So we had all these sort of um, historical and, and present-day um consequences that happened as a result of me rolling dice. So I wasn't just deciding, oh, mm-hmm. you can have a terrible thing. I would roll the dice and say, well, here's what happens. We've talked a little bit about the design thing and the the idea of empathy. We started with the idea of we're going to do something to try to understand our characters better because they're about to go through something that's that's pretty difficult. Yeah. Pretty difficult. And then we played this game. And the real kicker came at the end when I said, okay, everybody, now how much did you all spend? And it was in the thousands, right? Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, um, here's the issue, though. Um, the typical Afghan makes $400 a month on average. So those are $2,018 you're playing with. 
how are you going to get that much money together to get your family out? And I said, so are these really journeys that we just took? And we, we looked at all the list of the money that we just spent. And one student from the back of the room says, they're just dreams. And I went, yes, that's that's it. And, and then I asked them to write about um, how that changed their understanding of refugees, uh, people who try to escape countries and why they do and why they take the routes that they take. Why are people willing to get on a boat with 60 other people when it's supposed to only hold 15? They have no other way. That, that right? chance is better than no chance. That chance is better than no chance. And um, and so, <laughs> so you're saying I got a chance. You're saying there's a chance. So in the end, the whole game was designed to get the kids in a more empathetic place themselves as readers uh, of the literature that we we're considering and to have them experience even in the, just that simulation what goes through your mind when you're trying to get out because they really engaged in this and I was really proud of them for taking it seriously there was one group what they weren't willing to do is accept the negative when we role played this out a lot of the teams were they were very accepting of the negative they they knew they had to trade something good for something bad uh, there were there were times when they had to decide, am I going to leave this other person behind or am I going to pay the bribe and be penniless from now on? And they, they confronted that and they wrote about that. The one group that didn't really come along was because they didn't want to accept the negative. They didn't want to deal with the consequence. They wanted to just shield themselves from it. So they're not used to dealing with you know, life-changing zero, zero sum gains. Zero sum yeah. games. That's right. <laughs> so, so is this podcast about design or empathy? Yes. How can I not only use empathy to design the game, but then have the game produce empathy? In human design uh, theory, you start with empathy, and so if we're going to engage our kids in modern thinking about work, um, our design companies—well, not even our design companies—our companies use these kinds of uh, approaches in how they make decisions. Our kids need to get used to that kind of decentralized, more collaborative decision-making, um, engaging in empathy along the way so that their decisions can be informed by the human condition. If I can argue your point a little yeah. bit, I think our kids are. Yeah. I, think, sure. I, think, I think as educators, uh-huh. We're maybe, we're, you know, we might be lagging a little bit in that process. That's a great clarification. There's so many things where I think our kids are naturally already doing it and we're trying to play catch up. They're used to being collaborative. Um, when they play Fortnite, they're collaborating with the team all day long and talking to each other and giving each other instructions and, and helping each other accomplish something. If you don't understand it, but your friend does, ask him a couple last little things. You know, one of the, a couple of the things that we had were challenge the rules, take risks, and stay curious. Collaborate. Okay. They collaborated. I had them working in groups. They had to figure this out together. Um, the groups that did the best and had the, the highest level engagement and frankly had the best times were the ones that were really willing to role play it and to stay curious about, well, what happens if we go here? If is there What's there that we can get? Is there a bus station? Is there a plane station? Ask questions. Google Maps does a great job of providing you with that information. The other part was challenging the rules. I would have kids, and I love this, who said, well, can we, because I didn't give them a lot of rules, but they would say, can we, and then they'd prompt me with something that I hadn't thought of. 
sure, you can do that. There was the group that said, can we hire a private jet? Well, let's see what the dice say. And they're the ones that rolled like five sixes and a five. And at that point, I said, not only can you hire a private jet, you actually have a famous aunt who's an actress, and she has uh, offered to um, foot the bill for you to get to Turkey. She's flying there for a film festival anyway. So as long as she's going there, she'll take your crew, and then all you have to do is get from there to Greece because they wanted to go to some someplace in northern Greece. So that's the kind of thing that would happen along the way where they would challenge the, the, the assumptions, even though there weren't really that many rules, uh, but they would... They would they would sort of challenge the context and and I want to say yes as much as I can and then and then taking risks and there was a, a, a kid who had to decide he had to ex, he had to choose between either sacrificing himself he was just going to not be alive anymore or becoming a drug mule because stuff like that happens. Mm-hmm. Did you have because you said three three six sided dice so eighteen six. options six yep so did you have that many variables set up? Pre had you designed, and and the reason I say that is yeah. now you you game, yeah, and and have a, a a penchant for storytelling, yeah. Not every educator is going to have understood have yeah. that skill. So what would you? And we're going way long here, so I yeah. probably shouldn't shouldn't you be can, asking this. <laughs> um, what would you recommend for an educator that maybe doesn't have sure. that skill set? When I have done this before, I've also used what I call chance cards. And I don't call them chance cards. Monopoly calls them chance cards. Uh, but I would d- design a series of cards that have a consequence. And I could I could do this completely independently where the kids come up and just grab a card and they see what happens. I like to be engaged in the kids and I do enjoy the storytelling part. And so for me, rolling the dice and telling a story is easy. But I could do, it would take an extra hour of preparation to prepare 30 chance cards of what's going to happen as a result and you roll you could have still have the kids roll dice and then if it's a good result they pick from this pile and if it's a bad result they pick from the other pile they can set it up ahead of time on cards or just on a grid um, they could have everything typed out and printed out um, and have two columns of good result bad result and kind of cross things off as they happen good solution yeah i like that all right tutorials and updates just wanted to throw out again that we had a podcast last week on the blueprint with uh dr grant chandler mm-hmm. it was very interesting um good stuff if you're interested in how a uh, school district it is changing how it's running um we have another ISTE standards collaborator pod coming up uh should be posted hopefully this week it's been a busy week so i'm a little bit behind um i wanted to just give you a shout out mm. the the tutorials you've been putting out are are awesome. You've been like the tutorial machine. You know, that's, I decided this year that whenever anybody asked a question of how do I, I was going to, instead of answering it, I was going to make them wait about two hours and um, create something that everybody could use. And one of the things that's going to be coming out hopefully tomorrow is um, how to convert your old Google classrooms to have a classwork page so that you can reuse those moving forward. And that's a whole new thing. And the thing is, if you actually look through the entirety of these tutorials, your your um, ability to navigate and make uh, Google Classroom work for you as an educator is yeah. going to be uh, sure. upgraded significantly. Sure. One of the most recent ones was the the student view of Google Classroom because I think there's some teachers that, that want to see what it looks like for the kid before they're willing to jump in. Um, and so that one's out there. And I, I have a YouTube channel that's connected with my school email account. Um, 
I think my channel's just called David Noller. I, I do believe it is. Yeah. Very creative. There's a new Tell Me About It podcast with Jamie McCall and Allison McBride Culver coming out as well. And uh, check back. It's been a couple episodes ago, but the Bibliotech Halloween pop podcast. She's got some great, uh, it's that time of the year, and she's got some great suggestions for books for kids of all ages. Mm-hmm. So in closing, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at TCAPSloop. At Technologist. Ooh. Yeah. Excellent. At Technologist. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and the Google Play Store. Leave a review. We love the feedback. And remember, you're never too old to play. Oh, that's so true. Play a game tonight.